Welcome to a six-string hayride podcast, a journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, honky-talking stuff you do on Saturday night, and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. To the lakes of Minnesota where the rippling waters fall. No changes to be taken on the Wabash Cannonball. Freight train, freight train runs so fast. Please don't tell what train I'm on. They won't know what route I'm gone. Trains. As kids, we grow up singing songs like, I've been working on the railroad. We read stories like, The Little Engine That Could. We watch Ringo and George Carlin as Mr. Conductor on Shining Time Station. They're a giant part of our culture and our youth. Now, we're going to talk about some train songs today that are clearly associated with country music. However, we should note that train songs are not only set aside for this particular genre. As a matter of fact, I was talking with one of our super fans, Annie, and I asked her for her favorite train song. And of course, the first thing she said was the very sensible, well, can't really just pick only one. However, when she gave me her list, only one song on there was by a country artist. So here's the rest of the list. We have Railroad Song by Leonard Skinner. We have Runaway Train by Soul Asylum, Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. Long Train Runnin' by the Doobie Brothers, and Love Train by the OJs. So 
clearly trains are not only for the genre of country music. They're just a part of the American culture. There are many other artists that have train songs. The Grateful Dead have songs such as Big Railroad Blues and Casey Jones, amongst many others. Crosby, Stills, and Nash gives us Marrakesh Express. Would you know where riding on the Marrakesh Express? Would you know where riding on the Marrakesh Express? They're taking me to Marrakesh all on board the train. Rock Island Line, which a lot of people may be familiar with the Lonnie Donegan skiffle version of that song, which kind of launched the skiffle craze. Down the Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road. The Rock Island Line is a road to ride. Yes, the Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road. And if you own to ride, it got to ride it like you find to catch a ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. I may be right, may be wrong. You know you're going to miss me when I'm gone. But this song was first archived by Alan Lomax in 1934 on an Arkansas prison farm as sung by a gentleman by the name of Kelly Pace. Well, Jesus died to save me and all of my sin. Oh, while it's Lord, it's the God, we're gonna meet him again. Train songs cross multiple genres of music. They influence so many parts of our culture. It's just the American thing, the westward expansion. To give us more information about trains and their part in our culture, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Jim O'Malley. Jim, what can you tell us about trains and Americana? Well, folks, the great Southern California, Tex-Mex, blues, rock, Americana, uh, the guys, Los Lobos, they tell us quite clearly everybody loves a train. Damn if they're not right. You know, when we're little kids, I've been working on the railroad, uh, freight train, freight train. These are some of the earliest things we ever sing. This is some of the earliest music that we ever really kind of uh, engage as kids, you know, in preschool, kindergarten, whatever, all the way up through adults who take the hobby the art of a model train environment and turn that into something where half the neighborhood wants to come over and check it out because it's really cool our culture has had a incredibly long 
romantic, adventurous fascination with the idea of the railroad, the iron horse. Before there was this kind of mechanical transportation, when we're just in the era of boats and horses, the idea of moving so quickly over land is just really kind of far-fetched. And over the course of the early 1800s, we start to get the development of locomotion, steam for the most part. July 1st of 1828, a gentleman named Arthur Clifton copyrights the music and the words for something called the Carrollton March. This is regarded by American culture historians as kind of the first train song, the first railroad song. And the topic in this one is the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. And again, this is 1828. For fans of the game Monopoly, of course, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad is the B&O. It's one of the four that you can pick up in Monopoly as you ride that train to financial success. Chris and I were trying to figure out, you know, let's pick six or seven train songs and talk about them and play some clips and explore the genre. And that was a little naive on our part, because even if you just take a quick look at Google or Wikipedia, there's a list of 800 train songs out there that, believe it or not, are all kind of well-known in their own way. Chris and I are going to kind of take a walk down the tracks, and we want to give you a list of songs that really should be part of any railroad or or train culture discussion. And along the way, you know, we're going to hit some of the more obvious and more interesting ones, and we'll share some fun facts about those. Basically, we want to give you a sense of the genre, what's important about it, what it contributes to music and to culture, and then point out some of the more interesting sightings along the way. In the United States, the Transcontinental Railroad, the joining of an East Coast route with a West Coast route, happens in Utah in 1869. This is the legend folktale of the Golden Spike that's driven into the ground to join the tracks. This was really kind of a political and PR stunt, a community gathering type thing. The fellow who drives the spike in is the California governor, Leland Stanford. 
the spike itself or what people are claiming is the original spike is in a museum at Stanford University in California. So we already had the Carrollton March, the train song from 1828, is around for about 40 years before the east and west coast of the United States were even joined by railroad. Now, culturally, the joining of the east and west and making a railroad route that goes straight across the country. If you think about it, in 1869, this is a tremendously huge deal. The country is still in the first five years after the Civil War and after the murder of Abraham Lincoln. So to have an event that pulls the country together and after the divisions between North and South, to have something that you can then say joins East and West, this is a huge morale boost for a country that's still healing from two of the most awful instances in our history, the Civil War, the death of Abraham Lincoln. And at this point in history, there isn't Everybody gets around the TV and watches the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, or you watch the Olympics and there's a surge of warm, fuzzy feelings about the nation. This was really that type of cultural event when you go back to 1869. Telegraph, newspaper, wandering salesmen, wandering troubadours, all the little ways that news traveled around the country at this point, this becomes, again, a tremendously huge deal. People are fascinated. Back then, if you traveled by train, you were incredibly fortunate because there were not a lot of them. It was also something where people, just like in the early days of airplane travel, dressed up, you wore your Sunday best, you had a nice hat, a tie, a suit, and it was a complete total experience. It wasn't what you see now in an airport or a train terminal where people are just running around in flip-flops and pajamas. And, you know, there's trains every few hours to all kinds of major destinations. Back then, this was a rare, unique thing it held an incredible fascination for people. It was an event to get on a train and go somewhere. So trying to break down a list of 800, it, again, we're kind of picking and choosing the interesting spots along the way. What we hope happens is this gets you and your circle talking about the train songs that you like, what your list would be, what a fun railroad ride would be, th that kind of thing. And we literally have train songs across all types of music, starting with letter A. We have Duke Ellington with the American classic, Take the A Train. the Rolling Stones with All Down the Line, and we have a little bit more of a modern touch with R.E.M. and Auctioneer. That takes us all the way to Z, 
and Bob Marley with Zion Train. Crazy Irish guys, it's Bono and U2 with Zoo Station. So we have a lot of track to cover. We have a lot of good songs to discuss. Let's get rolling. When we decided to do an episode on trains, I immediately knew I wanted to discuss the song Railroad Lady. I love the song, and both of the writers were big influences on my musical tastes early on. She's a railroad lady bit shady spending her days on the train she's a semi good looker but the fast rails they took her now she's trying just trying to get home again i will admit i did have to fight the temptation to just discuss the most well-known and popular songs one of the things I really enjoyed about our most recent Stones episode was how we went a bit deeper with some of the clips. And I wanted to keep that feeling rolling. So the other two songs I decided I wanted to talk about were My Baby Thinks He's a Train by Roseanne Cash. 3 a.m. in the morning, a train And just another whistle stop by the band. It wasn't until after I picked my songs that I realized that none of them are about trains in the traditional sense. Railroad Lady is about the lifestyle of riding the rails. My Baby Thinks He's a Train is about a guy who's living the freewheeling life. And Just Another Whistle Stop is a song that uses trains as a metaphor about life itself. So it wasn't an intentional thing that I set out to do. But it does definitely illustrate the point that we've been making that trains can be trains, they can be passengers on trains, they can be metaphors using trains, it can be whatever you'd like it to be. The idea of trains in our culture is just deeply embedded. So let's talk about Railroad Lady. She's a semi-good looker, but the fast rails they took her. Now she's trying, just trying to get home again. This song was written by Jerry Jeff Walker and Jimmy Buffett. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, I believe it was in the episode that was my top 20 list. Jimmy does give Jerry Jeff a lot of the credit for him learning how to become a proper performer. Uh, he's very clear in his book, A Pirate Looks at 50, that Jerry Jeff kind of taught him about stage presence and how to reach an audience. 
Uh, this song actually has two major themes, in my opinion. The first is the idea of being a rail tramp, uh, not in a hobo sense, but as a freewheeling type of wanderlust. Once a highball and lauder thought he could own her, and he bought her a fur coat and a big diamond ring. But she hocked them for cold cash in the town on the wall back. Never thinking, never thinking of home way back then. This is something that I personally identify with based on my history of following the members of the Grateful Dead around over the years in their various iterations. The second theme that I really pick up on with this song is the idea that something that you love is dying. Uh, in this case, the, the title character is watching their beloved railroad lifestyle just fading away. Just a little bit shady. Spending her days on the train She's a semi-good looker But the fast rails they took her Now she's trying, trying To get home again On a bus to Kentucky And home once again In the first of those two verses, we have the image that the lady is living life to its fullest. But much like Cleopatra speaking about her early fascination of Caesar in her salad days comment, my salad days, when I was green in judgment, cold in blood, to say as I said then. There, Cleopatra, through William Shakespeare, of course, is speaking about the inexperience or greenness of youth since she spent her time just living life in the moment with no thought about the future. And if we're going to stick with classic literature quotes, we can go with Ben Franklin here and say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The song has been covered by Willie Nelson, June 77, J.D. Crow in the New South in 79, and Todd Snyder in April of 2012. So the song does manage to endure. She's a railroad lady, just a little bit shady, spending her life on train. Once a Pullman car traveler, now the brakeman want to have her. She's trying, just trying to get home again. Once a highball and a loner, well, he thought he could own her. Bought her a fur coat and a big diamond ring. One thing that I find interesting is that there are some slight alterations of the lyrics amongst the versions. Uh, for instance, Lefty and Jimmy sing the lyric, spending her days on the train, as in the published version of the lyrics, whereas Jerry Jeff actually switches that to spend her whole life on the train. Uh, Jerry Jeff and Jimmy both start the first verse of the song, South Station in Boston to the freight yards in Austin, yet Lefty sings to the stockyards in Austin. And the fourth and fifth of the six lines of the second chorus are sung by Buffett as published. Uh, once a Pullman car traveler, now the brakeman won't have her. But here Lefty changes brakeman to switchman, and Jerry Jeff simply repeats the first chorus with the she's a semi-good looker, but the fast rails they took her. So. It's interesting because the song itself is so just clear in its messaging 
that slight alterations of the lyrics to fit somebody's vocal style or possibly in Jerry Jeff's case because he was hammered, um, they don't actually alter the song in a meaningful way. So it's neat to me that every artist kind of has their own little stamp on the early versions of the song. But the fast rails they took her. Now she's trying, just trying to get home again. Let's sing it one more time. Everybody sing it. I'll see ya. She's a railroad lady, just a little bit shady. Spending her life on a train. She's a semi-good looker, but the fast rails, they took her. Now she's trying, just trying to get home again. It's that bus first, so. On a bus to Kentucky and home once again. The next song I want to talk about is My Baby Thinks He's a Train. This one was written by uh, Leroy Preston and recorded by Roseanne Cash for her 1981 album, Seven Year Ache. Uh, the song itself was released as the second single on the album on August 29th of 1981. It spins a week at number one and a total of 11 weeks on the charts. You know, we talked about the album itself in the Rolling Stone Top 20 episode, and we did so because this was number 20 on their list. I have to admit, I had heard the title track an awful lot. I hadn't really listened to the rest of the album much over the years. But this was one of the songs that really stood out to me as a, a good and fun and interesting song. Uh, the music itself, it conveys a strong feeling of a train in motion. Uh, this is mostly due to the secret superhero of the Hayride, uh, our guy Larry London and his drumming. Uh, here's a fun fact for listeners of the Hayride and a fun fact for my co-host. Uh, in the aforementioned Rolling Stone Top 20 episode, I struggled to get London's name right. In fact, I put him in my notes as Larry Donlin. I must have called him Larry London, Lonnie London, and several other things. And now I learned that Larry London is a stage name and his real name is Ralph Gallant. So on so many levels, Larry is just a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I did say in the Rolling Stone Top 20 episode that I had assumed for years that the drum track in Seven Year Ache was a drum machine because of how literally perfect it is. But here we have a much more free-flowing beat, uh, which gives the music of the song its structure. find some of the language here to be very precise and interesting uh, in the form of phrases such as the similes, he drags me around just like an old caboose, uh, indicating that the man in the song is clearly putting the singer last in line. 
And the very vivid and hilarious line, he's just like a train. He always gives some tramp a ride. So this song actually manages to convey the fact that you don't have to be singing about an actual train for something to qualify as a very good and decent train song. There, there's no train in the song itself. The train is the man who's out running around on the singer, but it's a good song and it's very well done. And considering that this one was done 42 years ago in 1981, I got to tell you, it holds up pretty good. I, I listened to it probably 40 or 50 times in preparation for this episode and it never got old or tired. So my baby thinks he's a train by Roseanne Cash. The other song I want to talk about is Just Another Whistle Stop by the band. This one was recorded and released by the band for their 1970 album Stage Fright. kind of take a bit of a shift and the music gets a little bit deeper and a little more personal. Uh, the album itself here was engineered by a young and essentially unknown at that time, Todd Rundgren. Now, generally speaking, I try to avoid giving definitive interpretations of metaphorical songs, but in this case, it seems rather likely that the song is designed to be a metaphor of life. So once again, we're given the idea that life is a lot like a train trip. There's lots of stops along the way. And even when what you see ahead of you is something you would rather avoid, if it's too close, you'll have no choice but to head straight through it. A Long Train Running by the Doobies kind of drives the same metaphorical theme, but in a much looser way. Uh, here we have a lead vocal that's delivered by Richard Manuel. Uh, the song also features some stellar, stellar guitar work by Robbie Robertson. Uh, check out this solo. I really like the line near the end of the song when the trolley is clean out of reach a certain lesson it will teach uh, the idea there seems to be that you only learn what's truly important once it's too late to do anything about it so it's vital to make good decisions when you're alive and living and I think that's a message that we can all take something from you know it's we're heading into the holiday season here in the US and this is the time when everybody should be reflecting on family and friends and the way you want to live your life not just as a passive thing that we do like oh it's almost New Year's let's let's come up with some resolutions but in the active idea of if you don't do it now you're going to regret it once you don't have a chance to still do it 
So let's get out there. Let's live our lives to the fullest. Let's all be trained. Overall, folks, this huge body of train songs kind of breaks down into two general categories. Firstly, we we kind of get that American cultural idea of go west, young man, go explore, go find the frontier. And there's a lot of railroad, a lot of train songs and stories that kind of take that attitude you are going off to adventure, to find yourself, to, you know, ultimately to the promised land. There's a spiritual quality to the kind of the ideas or the themes in, in these type of train songs. When I was just a kid, my daddy used to sing this song. Now I've grown to be a man. It lingers deep within my soul, lingers deep within my soul. This train's bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, nobody rides with the righteous and the holy. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train has left the station, this train. The other thing we get are the tragedy songs where, you know, you have Wreck of the Old 97, which is a true story. You have Casey Jones, which is a true story. You have uh, some silly takes on that idea, like Monkey and the Engineer. When the engineer goes to get a sandwich, the pet monkey drives the train, Tragedy possible up the road. We'll see. They gave him his orders at Monroe, Virginia. They said, Steve, you're way behind time. This is not 38. This is old 97. Put her in the Spencer on time. This old engine makes it on time. If you want to hear the story about a brave engineer Casey Jones was the roller's name On a 6-8 wheeler, boys, he rode to fame Caller called Casey about a half past four He kissed his wife at the station door He climbed in the cabin with his orders in his hand Said, this is my trip to the promise Right on time Big locomotive coming down the line Big locomotive number nine and if you're wondering why there are so many songs about the train tragedy, the crashes, the wrecks, the deaths, I think in some ways the answer is probably similar to the answer, why are 
their slowdowns and what we call gaper delays on the highway when there's a car accident. People stop and look. I think there's a similar phenomenon going on. Also, the tragedy in terms of storytelling always sells. You can go back hundreds of years to Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet to this day is an incredibly popular, well-known story. The basic plot gets adapted into different movie and, and other storytelling formats. Death sells. And, you know, even through the 1950s, we have that weird genre of teen tragedy songs. You know, uh, my baby went back for the yearbook and the car blew up and, you know, things like that. Uh, death sells. So, boy, where do we start? You know, I think in terms of the history of the podcast and some of the things we have talked about a lot, let's get some of the big elephant-sized boxcars out of the way, you know, just right up front. Johnny Cash. Folsom Prison Blues. You could do an episode of Train Songs and just talk about the Johnny Cash ones. And we might. And, you know, and someday we just might do that. Uh, but with Johnny Cash, you get Folsom Prison, Orange Blossom Special, Hay Porter, Rock Island Line, Wreck of the Old 97, and Adapted from the Old Harder family favorite, the Wabash Cannibal. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around the bay. Whoa, whoa. Look yonder coming. Coming down that railroad track Hey Porter, hey Porter, it's getting light outside This old train is puffing smoke and I have to strain my eyes But ask that engineer if he will blow his whistle please Cause I smell frost on cotton leaves and I feel that southern Now the Rock Island line, she's a mighty good road Rock Island line, it's a road to ride Rock Island line, it's a mighty good road Well, if you ride, you got to run it like you find it Get your ticket, that's the station for the Rock Island line Cross that white old mountain, watch old 97 roll. Mighty tall and handsome, she's known quite well by all. She's a regular combination on the Wabash Cannonball. Listen to the jingle, the rumble, and the roar as she glides along the woodland or the hills and by the shore. Now, as soon as I've said those, we all notice right away that I left out Train of Love, Downbound Train, Down There by the Train, Johnny's version of I've Been Working on the Railroad. I've been working on the railroad All the live long day I've been working on the railroad Just to pass the time away And Johnny's really meandering, long story version of the John Henry legend. 
you know, so as we were saying up front, it, as soon as your mouth gets out 10 or 12 train songs, you're thinking, wow, that's a lot. Those are all really good ones. Your brain is immediately telling you that there's at least, you know, another dozen just ready to roll off. The Johnny Cash gives us a handful. And to me personally, he's kind of the king. With Folsom Prison, you really create that idea. And it's a, a big part of the imagery and the emotion of the song. It's not so much about the train, because the guy is in prison. It's what the train represents. It's freedom, mobility. It's out of the prison. And very specifically on the train, it's an upper-class person. Cigars, good food, good drink, comfortable travel. It's that idea of escape, of salvation, and a little bit of redemption as you get away from your fault and your personal tragedies. You get something really uplifting in the other, you know, I think, Talking about train songs, you're going to start with Folsom Prison. And as Chris and I have made clear before on the show, you're going to start with City of New Orleans by Steve Goodman. Riding on the city of New Orleans, Illinois Central Monday morning rail. There are 15 cars and 15 restless riders. Three conductors and 25 sacks of mail. There's a guy kind of watching the characters and the scenarios as he goes from Chicago through to Memphis and down to New Orleans. It's an incredibly famous train route. It's an incredibly famous song. Uh, those are really the two big ones that I think any conversation is going to start with. And then you sort of get those ones that are folk tales ingrained in the culture stories that we hear a lot about when we're kids and it kind of like the irish folk song whiskey in the jar you you have all these different versions of it where the name will change or the location will change but the basic plot and story of the song is still the same and with the railroad stories we get the ballad of john henry you have harry belafonte johnny cash are probably the two well-known versions well, John Henry went to the captain. <laughs> what happened? Said the captain, what can you do? I can hoist the jack. I can lay a track. I can pick and shovel too. Lord, Lord, pick and shovel too. I can pick and shovel too. Lord, Lord, pick and shovel too. John Henry is a guy who is a railroad worker. And very big, strong, powerful. Nobody lays track in spikes like him. And then all of a sudden, there's an invention. There's a steam-powered machine that will put in the spikes, do the hammering instead of the person doing it. 
John Henry gets into a contest with the machine, man versus machine. This is something that starts in the 1800s because of the Industrial Revolution. And even to this day, we have this idea of machines replacing human workers. And it's something we discuss and debate a great deal. The John Henry story is kind of the beginning of that. And then, based on true stories, we have Wreck of the Old 97. This is based on an 1865 folk song called The Ship That Never Returned. And it's a true story. September 27th of 1903, a 33-year-old engineer, Steve Brody, has to step in and serve as a substitute driver on a mail train that goes to Danville, Virginia. And Steve, you're way behind time. This is not 38, this is old 97. Put her in the Spencer on time. Well, he turned around and said to his big crazy fireman, Hey, shovel on a little more coal. And when we cross that white old mountain, watch old 97 roll. The train is a little past its prime in terms of its age and its mechanical quality. Uh, the brakes are not good. The track is rough. The train is late. So you have a substitute train driver on a mail train being pushed by his employers to hurry up and get there. The mail has to be on time. Well, if you've heard the song, you know the story. The old 97 does not make it. It crashes. Mighty rough road from Lynchburg to Danville in a line on a three-mile grade. It was on that grade that he lost his air brake. You see what a jump he made. He was going down the grade, making 90 miles an hour. His whistle broke into a scream. He was found in the wreck with his hand on the throttle. The engineer, again, 33-year-old Steve Brody, dies in the crash. The other you know, big traditional song that we get in, in this type of music is Casey Jones. Casey Jones was a roller's name On a 6-8 wheeler, boys, he rode to fame Caller called Casey about a half past four He kissed his wife at the station door He climbed in the cabin with his orders in his hand Said, this is the trip to the promised land Casey Jones climbed in the cabin Casey Jones orders in his hand Casey Jones leaning out the window Taking a trip to the promised land Casey Jones, again, a real guy. This is another case where the first engineer up did not make the run, and it was a substitute driver. This is a fellow named John Luther Casey Jones. This crash takes place on April 30th of 1900. This is the Illinois Central Railroad 
coming out of Memphis, heading to New Orleans. And as he's going through a turn, a siding, there's an oversized train that is sticking out on the tracks. So to avoid running into it full speed, John Luther Casey Jones clings to the brakes, applies the brakes, just, you know, everything is going into trying to stop the train. There is a crash, and you, you can't completely stop the thing. The momentum is huge. So Casey's train does slam into the oversized train sticking out at the siding, but he had managed to apply the brakes and slow down the momentum so much that Casey himself is the fatality in the crash. And some of the other people involved survive. And that is credited to him, Mr. Jones, uh, you know, just getting those brakes going uh, for everything he's worth and stopping the train, keeping it from being a much, much worse tragedy. And Casey Jones is one of those stories that, you know, there's a zillion different versions of the song of the story. Um, probably the Grateful Dead version is you know, the more well-known, it's one of the more recent ones, but yeah, Wreck of the Old 97 and Casey Jones, both based on true stories of train accidents resulting in the death of the engineer. A good train song also is created to give the musicians involved a chance to jam, a chance to show off. And probably the greatest of all the jam-based train songs was copyrighted in 1938 by Irvin Rouse. And this is a song about the New York to Florida train run. It is the Orange Blossom Special. Look yonder coming, coming down that railroad track. Hey, look yonder coming, coming down that railroad track. It's the Orange Blossom Special, bringing my baby back. Fiddle players often refer to this as their national anthem.
and I know that we don't think of Johnny Cash as kind of a, a fancy hot picking guitar player, but Johnny Cash in his live show over the course of almost his entire career, especially on the San Quentin album, turned Orange Blossom Special into the big harmonica solo. It's that Orange Blossom Special bringing my baby back. down to florida and get some sand in my shoes you know maybe a lot of people don't know about cash but really legitimate excellent on the harmonica and with orange blossom special he when i saw him perform live he did this incredibly cool bit of shtick where he had a harmonica in each hand you know different keys and halfway through the song there's the big solo and he goes from one harmonica back to the other lightning fast you know, it, it's it's an amazing bit of showmanship, but you know, don't overlook the harmonica as a, a kind of toy instrument or a kid's instrument. It's a real serious thing. You know, just ask Junior Wells, the blues player, or any of the great harmonica players. And what Johnny Cash, you know, takes as a guitar or a fiddle jam bass tune and, and turns that into one for the harmonica it is one of the more unique takes on orch blossom special that you're gonna get it's just fantastic uh, to get back to this kind of traditional idea and because we're talking about johnny cash we have to go backwards and talk about the carter family uh, it starts showing up in the 1880s traditional number of the wabash cannonball and then the carters do it in 1929 Roy Acuff does it in 1936. It, again, from that old, you know, folk tradition, this is one of the more famous, one of the more you know, vastly huge amount of covers of this song. This is the only instance with the popular train songs where the song existed before the train did. When the song first popped up, there was no train, the Wabash Cannonball. But years later, the Wabash Railroad Company named their Detroit to St. Louis run after the song. Pacific to the broad Atlantic shore. She climbs Clary Mountain or hills and by the shore. Although she's tall and handsome and she's known quite well by all, she's a regular combination of the Wabash Cannonball. A lot of train songs that are just 
silly and fun and kind of a good time. And you get, you know, Chris and I will never, ever pass up a chance to talk about the Andrews sisters. We get Chattanooga Choo Choo, which. I'm leaving immediately, Chattanooga, here I come. Pardon me, boy, is that the Chattanooga choo-choo? Right on track 29. Boy, you can give me a shine. I can't afford to board a Chattanooga choo-choo. I've, I've, I've got my fare. And just a trifle to spare. We get into the rock and roll era here, starting in the 50s with uh, the Junior Parker song, Mystery Train. And I don't think this song is famous because of the train element. I think this song is famous because Scotty Moore creates one of the first really deadly, fantastic, iconic riffs in rock music with the guitar opening to this. And then once Elvis opens his mouth, I mean, the, the aim over nobody's going to create something with this kind of vibe and this kind of mood to it uh again train arrive 16 coaches long train arrive 16 coaches long And, you know, there's just so many train songs that it really does start to spill over into the, the rock and roll era. Train arrive, 16 coaches long. many 
train songs and train stories as there are train routes around the planet. Uh, right now, Sweden and Japan are currently leaders in train travel. We really have a story to fit almost everything. We have the traditions of the labor struggle and the folks who built the railroads. We have that kind of longing and search for redemption, escape, and adventure. We have tragedy based on true stories. You know, before radio, the idea of a folk song as a way to get news from town to town was a very real thing and had a life of its own. And train songs are everything. And we really like that idea on the podcast of the unbroken circle and not having labels on types of music. Well, really, here we are, kind of ground zero for that, because you can look at any type of music and at least come up with, you know, your top five train songs. It's an extraordinary phenomenon that's kind of popped up in our culture because of the engineering and the industrial wisdom of the people that developed the steam engine, the locomotive constructed the actual, you know, engines and, and the cars. And then you have, you know, the people that were taken advantage of the indigenous Americans, the Irish, the Chinese, the people that were the hard workers that actually did the building and created the railroad and then along the way, you have these really wonderful innovations like George Pullman and the sleeper car. And, you know, now you can get on an Amtrak, go from Chicago to San Francisco, and they pass a menu around to you. And there's a bar car and there's a couple of cars with the glass ceiling. So you can, you know, enjoy the beauty of the ride. This is something that I don't think will ever go away. You know, it's still kind of a big thing. And in America, we don't look at train transportation quite the way that the Europeans and the Asians do in terms of mass transit and, you know, running clean transportation and things like that. But we have a huge railroad museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Here in Union, Illinois, there's a big railroad museum. Our fascination with railroad and trains and train stories, I don't think will ever go away. Driving that train, how cocaine. Casey Jones, you better watch your speed. So
Okay, listeners. Now, we've been doing a lot of drink recipes lately. We've thrown in the occasional food one, like when we talked about jambalaya. But it's getting cold again here in the Northern Hemisphere. And for us Northern Hemisphere folk, there's few things we like on a cold day than a nice warm pot of chili. So here to give us Johnny Cash's Iron Pot Chili Recipe, Jim O'Malley. That's Simpson. He thinks he's the Pope of Chili Town. Well, this year I am ready for him. Hello, Chief. Afternoon, Homer. Care for some chili? I've added an extra ingredient just for you. The merciless peppers of Quetzalcoatlango. <gasps> Grown deep in the jungle primeval by the inmates of a Guatemalan insane asylum. Uh, Wiggy, my chili's getting cold. Okay, folks, we have been doing the John Wayne cocktail guide for a while now, and Chris and I realized that Yes, here in the American Midwest, it is getting colder out, and for many episodes now, we've been drinking on an empty stomach. Never a good idea. So we're back to the food recipes, and that means we are back to the Johnny Cash and June Carter family cookbook. Here we are today with Johnny Cash's Iron Pot Chili. This is a little bit of a flexible recipe in terms of some of the ingredients. Johnny recommends that you use one pound of ground beef or one pound of ground turkey. If you're making this for a ton of people, go ahead and use both. You will also need two tablespoons of olive oil, four garlic cloves crushed, one and a half large sweet onions, and dice those onions up. You will need one 16-ounce can of diced tomatoes, one 12-ounce can of tomatoes and green chilies. You will need one 12-ounce bottle of beer, and Johnny, in his recipe, it says, I prefer an ale, so I'm going to go ahead and recommend Smittix here at the Hayride. That is our favorite of the Amber Ales. So go ahead and use that one. You will need one green bell pepper, finely diced. One red bell pepper, finely diced. One poblano pepper, finely diced. Two jalapeno peppers, finely diced. Optional, but oh, come on, you've already been working the pepper. Just keep going. One optional habanero pepper, finely diced. Again, we're on the pepper train. Just keep going. Don't be a sissy about it. One tablespoon of garlic powder. One pinch of ground cloves. One teaspoon of rubbed sage. One half teaspoon of dried thyme. One teaspoon of dried oregano. One teaspoon of black pepper. And at this point, we're about halfway through the ingredients, so open up another Smittix and pour yourself a glass, one for the chili, one for the cook, and then move along to three-quarters cup of mild chili powder, one-half cup of ground cumin, two 
one and a half ounce packages of fully seasoning, Johnny recommends McCormick. McCormick, when you absolutely have to have chili seasoning. Recommended by Johnny Cash. Two 15-ounce cans of pinto beans drained. Two 15-ounce cans of red kidney beans drained. One 15-ounce can of black beans drained. And, yep, you can have more beans because we also need one 15-ounce can of great northern beans drained. One half cup raw or regular honey. One quarter cup of firmly packed brown sugar. This is going to blend really nicely with all those peppers we did in the first half of the recipe. One quarter teaspoon of cayenne pepper. One cup of water. One quarter cup yellow cornmeal or cornmeal mix. Place the ground meat in a large pot. Cook it over medium heat until browned using a large spoon to crumble the meat. Remove the meat from the pot with a slotted spoon and place on a paper towel lined plate to drain the grease. Add the olive oil to the pot. Add half of the crushed garlic and cook until it begins to brown just a bit, maybe two minutes. Add the onions and cook, stirring. Stir the onions for a few minutes. Add the meat back to the pot and cook for four to five minutes. Add the canned tomatoes and green chilies to the pot and stir well. Add the beer, remember, that's Smittick's Amber Ale, bell peppers, poblano, and jalapeno, and habanero peppers if you're, oh, come on, we know you're using them. Add the remaining crushed garlic, garlic powder, cloves, sage, thyme, oregano, black pepper, chili powder, cumin, and chili seasoning. Stir well. Pour in the beans. Add the honey, the sugar, and the cayenne pepper. Stir and check for taste. Once you have all the ingredients combined and stirred, preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Transfer the chili to one or two Dutch ovens or other oven-safe pots. Sprinkle some corn chips and cheese on top. Spread evenly. Place in the oven and bake for about 10 minutes. The idea is, is he's trying to get a little bit of a crust with the corn and the cheese on top of the chili. Serve hot with any sides you desire, and of course, a little bit more Smittix. At our house, Johnny says we serve the chili with more shredded cheese, sweet onions, and hot sauce. Fear not, Homer. I am your spirit guide. Hiya. There is a lesson you must learn. If it's about laying off the insanity peppers, I'm way ahead of you. No, I speak of a deeper wisdom. I'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, 
early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking, bopping, and very much unbroken. So thank you for sticking with us. We will see you down the road real soon. And again, whether it's in your home, in your community, wherever it is you do your thing, keep your circle unbroken. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you real soon. Can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a bitter Join them in a song I'm gonna join the family circle At the throne No, the circle Won't be broken By and by, Lord By and by Remember The force will be with you Always